You're listening to Red Nation Online. Got it to Davis, edge of the area. Davis to Brian Sheik. Seals the deal. Houston going to win it on the road. It's the captain wrapping it up. Saturday, July 28th, Steve Perry and I'm Ian Clark, and we're back from BMO Field in TFC's 2-0 loss to the Houston Dynamo. One team's winning streak continues, while the other must regroup and come up with solutions. A labored performance that lacked creativity, Toronto did not show any glimpses of the determination that characterized their streak over the last 10 games. With a tough month ahead, this will be the period to judge where the team stands. We're running through the match, looking at a struggling midfield, and what lies ahead through August. All in the next 30 minutes on East Side Stand Up. The next streak's over. Yeah. Do you want me to should we start this off? Because Houston, we have a problem. Toronto FC can't seem to do anything other than launch a long ball. That's true. I find that to be a problem. Uh, <laughs> but the winning streak's over. The winning, it's done. It's over with. I think that's it. I think. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it while it lasted. Because it was um, three games straight, and now we're yeah. back to. And it's interesting because Houston was all tricks. Houston was on a three-game winning streak, and they continue their winning streak. They're now on four. But we're back to old tricks. And did, speaking of old tricks, did you see that everyone? The, the back heel is back in fashion. The side, the side heel, the back heel. It was all in play today. Yeah, hadn't seen that in a long time. No, it was nice to see both. Speaking teams, of bo- old tricks, yeah, both teams were doing it. And Reggie Lamb. Speaking of tricks, he's got a few of them. Yeah, he had a few up his sleeves. Yeah. Uh, Quincy Ameriqua tried to pull off a little bit of a trick in the first half. Six minutes in and the bicycle kick. Yeah. Had the, Some had people would up. say that's uh, Gusto. I think maybe it's a guy who doesn't think that he can head the ball in. He just had to take a step back and head it. Probably would have had a better better chance on better game. accuracy for scoring <laughs> than a bicycle kick. Yeah. that's You know, you're right. It is ballsy to do it on a cross. People talked about he scored a goal in the Liverpool game. People talked about how he uh, celebrated with a dead fish uh, flop kind of thing. Okay. Which is totally unique and kind of almost like the anti-celebration. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen it again. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of this bicycle kick thing. At BMO Field. But that's it. You know, if we haven't uh, laid it out, we're back from BMO Field. 2 nothing loss uh, to the Houston Dynamo, who, you know, that's what it was the matchup. Two teams who pretty much had identical form coming into this game where... Um, sort of starting um, the date that I'm picking is at uh, mid-June when we came back from about a two-week break where those international games where Canada had some games and the U.S. had games uh, World Cup qualifiers and uh, you know Toronto lost the first one to Kansas City 2-0 but then we went into Houston and uh, had this breakout game where we were winning 3-1 two goals from Danny Coverman's and they ended up tying it late 3-3 and then from that point on both teams really um, went on a nice run of I think they each had one loss over nine games. Uh, both teams came into this game on a three-game winning streak. All three for Houston at home. Toronto, of course, had a win on the road uh, in New England. So it was almost looked like it was... It's like they're preparing for this matchup. Yeah, right? and on paper, you know, it's definitely in terms of form and results, an even matchup, it looked like. 
Um, but I think, and, and you, I would have even said by the end of the first half, I thought it was still an even matchup, except for that goal. I I, I thought uh, we played really well. Yeah, I think the chat the chatter I think at the half was people felt that might have been building up in Houston's favor. But I think that's you're probably right. It's probably not fair. I think it's hindsight after the goal because I think that only came up when the once the goal was scored. Yeah. So I, I'm you know I think that that was just a perception based on the goal. Yeah, I, the one thing I would say, though, is that going into this game, I felt that um, the one thing to watch out for would have been corner kicks and, and Brad Davis uh, delivering set pieces. So whenever they got, there was down that towards the half, there was about two or three chances Houston had, and that just always makes me nervous because they have uh, strong players in the air off set pieces, and they have one of the best uh, delivery players in the league. You know, you could even, I think you could argue Brad Davis, you know, Definitely not in terms of pedigree or class is with Beckham, but in terms of results, I think Brad Davis probably delivers as many goals offset pieces as anyone else in the league. In comparison to ours. Definitely in comparison to ours. I was thinking uh Frank sort of relied on the same the same sort of uh setup of uh delivering the ball to the top of the six yard box where Danielle Henry and both times it was the same play really, just a header. Yeah. Uh, the first one was more dangerous. The second one, you know, he just didn't get behind it enough, and it was uh, off. But it seemed like that was the relied set piece, and I just think maybe there's no imagination. Maybe maybe we don't. Maybe we don't do anything different. Like maybe our team just does just run out of ideas. Yeah, just put know? it in. Just put it in there. Everyone just goes up and hope hopes that there's going to be like some kind of like a lots of traffic and congestion that'll. I'll work in our favor, right? That's what it looks like. And you know what? He's been delivering that that sort of corner kick uh, for the last couple of weeks, just trying to get the right weight and the right the right curl on it so it's just away from the keeper yeah, and just outside of that six-yard box. Yeah. Um, so we stand a chance. Yeah. But I think, you know, I think it's fair. I think off the, off the start of the game, I mean, neither side was creating um, huge chances. But I think in the early going, I think one interesting matchup that I thought was uh, Richard, Richard Eckersley against Matt Kanji. And I think that Houston might have seen an opportunity that other teams did where it was they were going to try to exploit Toronto uh, caught a bit too deep and catch them for pace. Uh, and, and you made a note all through the game about Richard Eckersley's play. And I think it started in the early going on those matchups with Kanji where he just simply was, he was, instead of just sweeping in there, he just was stopping him. He just yeah. was like, he was just cutting in front of him physically um, breaking that play. It up. happened as early as the two minute mark, which was an outstanding tackle. He just came, he just swept in um, and just uh, like it looked like uh, it looked like the player was going to beat. I think the player had beaten Matt Ashton Morgan, maybe. Um, Ashton Morgan? No. We're in Logan Emery, perhaps. He beat. Or Daniel Henry. Daniel Henry. He, he did beat Daniel Henry. Uh, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Eckersley came on this diagonal run and just uh, just uh, like didn't even do a slide tackle. Just. <laughs> just ripped the ball from his feet it was just kind of like it was dramatic um and you know for a british defender where you, you're used to seeing slide tackles uh, actually he didn't do a lot of that he but he did do the stopper position and he you know he did play in a traditional sweeper stopper whereas emery didn't so he wasn't they weren't lined up in a formation like that but he um uh countless times wound up playing the stopper and I just think that he's um, starting to get into the role into that role being in the center which you know he's mostly played on the outside right and it's because maybe we've had strong players up until more recently when we haven't like Adrian Contort so they've they've had a whole bunch of people go in there in Mm -hmm. the middle 
uh, not to great success, and I think they found it now in Eckersley. So I think he's probably probably going to find his position until Khan gets back, and maybe the two will play in the middle, and Emery will be out. I think you know, and that's what I think is the case. Is that it's a it's a great point. I mean, Eckersley has definitely grown into that role, and in the first games that he played in the center. Um, he still had all his habits of being a fullback or being the right back. And you could see in the way that he was marking or not marking yeah. or the way that he was drifting out of position, following guys down the wing. And now he's just kind of has this, I mean, tonight we saw it over and over where it was like, he'd almost come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. He just closed down on player. His timing was, was on and he was closing down players at the right time in the right spot. And he's got the confidence to just basically control that center. Yeah. And I mean, we marked it. I marked that play down in the second minute and I marked one down in the 16th minute as well, yeah, almost an identical uh, play against again Matt Kanji and I think that was uh, those were two telling plays because it really set the tone early on that if if Houston had gained success with that I think we would have been in trouble but I counted six times where he just he basically performed that stopper role uh, to perfection and I just thought wow he's really found his position so yeah I, it's great to see and I guess you know I think deservedly play, play of the match no I mean we talk about it we talk about this almost every game, the man of the match, the Carlsberg uh, Employee of the Week Award. And, <laughs> uh, you know, there are times where they get it right. And I think on this night they did. I think Eckersley was one of the few players who stood out. And over the last few games, there have been other players who have really stood out who, uh, especially in that first half, I think the two, the one player that I really took didn't take note of, that I wish I'd taken note of, was Luis Silva. And we've made note of him over the last couple of games and the last couple of weeks, how he's sort of emerged as this real sort of like talisman and the midfield creating and creating chances for others and for himself and for what this game was just Invisible. it just wasn't happening yeah i didn't even see him no i didn't notice him like uh, and it wasn't until at halftime when you said where was where was silva and it's like right they called his name at the beginning i haven't seen anything of him and that's the thing He's very invisible tonight you would have expected i would have expected a concerted effort to get him in the play um but i think what but as we go into the second half and we kind of discuss this overall game, um, and as I think there has been a criti- one criticism on the team over this over this stretch, even though they've had good results, has been an, an over-reliance on the long ball. And I think today we saw um, you know, the, the fruits of that against a team that was very organized uh, and had quality front to back and, and really didn't, they really didn't wilt at any point, Houston. They pretty much sustained their shape for 90 minutes and Toronto... Uh, didn't really have an answer, and and we saw this in the second half where you know you, you described the first half where it was it was even, but I was wondering, you know, when is this team going to switch out of this? When is this team going to start playing? You know, having a, a buildup that doesn't rely on uh, sending it deep and then hitting it back to the midfield. It's curious because I did think that they had a formation, especially from the kickoff. I don't know if you noticed, but they lined up uh, three players on the right side. Um, and it looked like a set piece from the kickoff, so the ball went back to Frings, and Frings lofted it onto that wing because that's where they loaded it, and I figured that they were going to go in and there was going to be a play back and then something forward through, And uh, but actually nothing materialized out of it. It looked like they had a different formation. Even on defense, I would say, um, that there was like almost a saucer shape that was uh, taking place with um, uh, both Morgan and Henry uh moving sort of into the midfield and leaving Emery and Eckersley as a back line. So it was like a two. And then they uh, Morgan and Henry were lining up sort of with Fring, with Fring, so it was like three guys. And then there was like a sort of a second strata of midfielders, um, which Silva was not a part of. And um, I, we, I often think of football sort of like chess in the way that uh, games are won in the by in the middle through the midfield 
Um, and I, I noticed that our, all of our back line was actually kicking long balls every time. Now we've talked about the long ball and we wondered about what the long ball is. And the long ball to me tonight suggested that maybe we can't rely on our midfield. Maybe, um, uh, we're going over the midfield because we can't trust them anymore. And I'm thinking of like I'm thinking of the players that were that are the, sort of the traditional midfield players, which were Dunfield, and Reggie Lamb, and Frings. Frings seemed like he was uh, at half speed most of the game, uh, and we were speculating that maybe it's because of the heat. Maybe he can't play in the heat. Maybe he's. But I'm thinking it might be something else. But we'll find out for sure in the fall. That'll all be confirmed when it gets colder. Yeah. To see whether he can uh, run in the cold. Um, I'm thinking uh, Terry Dunfield. Uh, he's not as he's not that strong of a midfielder. Um, so you know he does well w- with Frings right in the middle. But when when Silva's been pushed up into the midfield, you sort of there's a bit of a gap, and he doesn't fill in all of the space on the side that he's supposed to. So he's still playing in the center, and there's a gap on the side that leaves sort of Morgan all alone. And uh, Reggie Lamb, who's sort of also seen as a um, like a, a, a winger, he he sometimes plays a winger position, even though he's playing um, shorter, like he's not playing as far up as a winger would play, right? Um, sort of like in an older school kind of football, but he doesn't really like we don't have uh, midfielders that can win the game in the middle, so we wind up losing the ball uh, somewhere. Through our midfield, I don't think the back line can trust the midfield anymore. Uh, it's better to turn the ball over by kicking it long, or at least taking your chances with a long ball, because it's going to give you at least more time to recover for the next wave of an attack. I don't think Houston came at us with loads of attacks. Certainly not in the first half. Uh, more so in the second half, and that's when I think you know we started. Um, it, we we started becoming more predictable to Houston. Houston was able to read the game more uh, and figure us out. And I also think that um, maybe we were losing our um, fitness, right? Yeah. So you certainly saw the unraveling happening in this by the second half. Yeah, and you know what I think? I, you know what I'm going to draw? I'm going to draw. You know, I'm going to draw a little picture here. I'm going to I'm going to take you somewhere with this next point because we're talking about our midfield. And now I want to talk about Houston's midfield and one of their most recent signings from Honduras, Garcia. And you looked at him, and he looked. I thought he looked excellent. Yeah, and he made some really in the first half. I didn't notice him until you pointed him out. He's incredible. In the first half, I don't even remember there was a run that he made where he just sliced through the middle and just slalomed around Frings like he wasn't even there. And he did it again in the second half. I think around the forty sixth or forty seventh minute, there was a little play that Houston had where he just he just shimmied around these guys, and it got to a point where every time he had the ball, uh, Toronto's defense was just watching him because they knew if they bit they would get turned inside out. And it's funny how it's like, you know, we've talked about player acquisitions that Toronto makes, the type of signings we need to do. We've lamented it over and over. It's just like, geez, just like I'll, I'll sacrifice a DP if you tell me we're putting a full-time scout in Colombia or Honduras or Central America because maybe we could find a guy like this. And here's an interesting thing. If you sign a player like out of Mexico or Honduras or Colombia that play summer seasons, Right, they have summer seasons. They start up in the hottest times of the year. Well, they do take a break, but they start up again in August. So they should—they're used to this. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't such a big deal for them to go through these summer seasons. Um, and of course, they're from—they're from that that region. They're from that that uh, climate. And you had a guy here that just like it looked like it didn't even phase him. 
being out like a day like today. Yeah, yeah it was perfect sure. for him. And it's just like to me, that's that's an exciting signing. I think a guy like that, um, twenty five years old, you know, comes in as a DP and and really makes a difference. Um, and then well, he he looked at a different level. You know, when when like when you see our team playing against Liverpool, you, you kind of you can see that there's different levels of football. Yeah, he looked like he was of a different level. Yeah, every time he touched the ball, and the, even some of the things were so imaginative uh, with the touches back and forth. I just like the he didn't even look like there's a defense out there. No, <laughs> he was just walking through us. Yeah, so it just was, and that and there there's a it comparison. You can it. say a comparison between Garcia and Frings <coughs> in terms of two two midfield players who are designated players. And one who looked to be really struggling through this afternoon, um, keeping his legs beneath him, and another one that looked energized through through most of the game and was able to create some really exciting moments. Um, that's a thing where also I think on this afternoon Toronto's result really fell short. Was that Frings is a player who really like last year when he came on, it was just like, holy cow, this yeah. this guy is bossing the midfield. Like this guy's quality is on a completely different level. And I don't want to say it's fallen, but I think this year we've seen. Um, ebbs and flows, highs and lows in his game, and when his game is low, he isn't that. He isn't that linchpin. He isn't that talisman in the midfield. He's just another piece, uh, and that's where. And that's and, and when they, it's a game like that, Toronto falls short, like they did today. So that's the thing where it's like you know, if we segue out of this game and we start talking about signings that we've made and how this international window's closed down. That's something I think that's, you know, that's a discussion to have is, you know, who, who are we identifying as potential players for the future? You know, are we, are we recognizing that our midfield is not young and we don't really have the guys in the middle of the field that are going to take us through next year, the year after and the year after? Because we don't. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and we focused on, uh, you know, problems on, on sort of the back and the front lines. But I think now our problem is in the middle. Uh, anyway, I wanted to ask you about what you thought of Miraquai because that that was sort of a person that sort of playing. He's a new player, yeah, and um, and he's playing up front. Yeah, honestly, he was okay. I wasn't I wasn't really impressed to be honest on this performance, and I don't I don't think he's a long term fit. I personally think he's going to be the 2012 Perry Morosevich. Um He yeah. reminded me of Yao Plata. Did he? Just because of the. Um, um, how he, I, I, I found that uh, when he did get the ball, um, he could keep it, and um, he could make runs with it. You know, which is funny because, but also Plata, you know, later on couldn't do anything after that. Yeah, and we sort of saw that too. We saw the inability to do anything. It's in, but don't you think? Ex- I find that kind of strange because it's like if you, you we signed a guy who probably makes around the same amount of money, brings roughly the same kind of game, has the same kind of pace. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was what's the point? Yeah. Other than maybe Paul Mariner being like, "Well, this is my guy." Yeah. Probably. Whereas Plata wasn't my guy. Sort of a turf pissing thing. Yeah. A turf um, marking. So I'm interested to see if anything comes out of next year, and and uh, you know who we can identify through the fall, if anyone, um, because you know we're going through another glut of tough games, and uh, we start our Champions League on Wednesday. Um, it's going to be, it's going to, you know, a new grind is on the horizon for this team. And we haven't really, um, you know, re- brought in the re- kind of reinforcements that we saw in 2011 to kind of really turn the team around. Um, one of the things I want to say about, uh, what do you think about Ryan Johnson's form? 
Well, this game wasn't anything to definitely get yeah. too excited about. Um, I think he's had a couple of tough games, but I think it might also go with, um, you know, the last two games he hasn't been he hasn't been paired up with Coverman's. Obviously, I think that partnership was starting to work out um, when Coverman's got hot. And so yeah. he's sort of out of source because uh, Coverman's is not there. Yeah, and you know what I think we saw at the beginning of the year when Coverman's was injured and Johnson was the only guy up front. He he wasn't able to kind of produce, and that's just it's. I don't think that's his natural. I don't think that's his strength. I don't think that's his natural role to be the man up top. I think he's a more better, more suited as that secondary, or even a player maybe lying back in the hole, um, that's delivering that second, the second or third wave of goals rather than being the primary goal scorer. I think that's why we brought in Eric Hasley is because um, yeah. we, we can't really rely on this one guy to do it, and we need someone who's who's got the capability to, to also score maybe 10 goals a year. But I felt he was playing in that whole position, and uh, and still he was losing the ball every time. And then there was one time when he was even fed a pass, and he just lacked the initiative to try and chase it down. It might not have been a great pass, but he didn't even want to try for it. I just felt, I don't know, I just feel like his his heart's not in this game. Well, you know, at least in this team, maybe. You know what? The other the other dot that I want to connect with the, maybe the fall of his game was the poor game from Luis Silva because they've been connecting. You right. know, in Luis Silva's run, it's been him and Johnson feeding off each other really well. And I think with Luis Silva not getting very many touches or opportunities, at least in the middle of the field, um, I think that's what we've seen is that so Johnson's the, game suffered as a result. The difference in this lineup is Miracor. Maybe he doesn't work with this formation. I think maybe you're right. Because you know what we would have seen before? was We've seen two up top, one in the hole, and sort of like three midfielders behind them. Uh, and then you have the, the group of defenders. And I think that's where Silva's better, not pushed out wide. He's better when he can sort of like creep into the middle and help out there. So uh, curious to see again what happens when Hasley is fit and ready to go. Yeah. Because um, I think that's what's going to make a difference. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's just all sort of a Petri dish right now, right? Still. Yeah. It still, still. is. It yeah. still is a Petri dish. You know what I mean? Like, it's the never-ending transition that Toronto FC goes through every year. It's the midsummer It's the midsummer switch. I feel like it's uh, we, should, we should be used to this by now, but it's still a bit frustrating uh, that every summer we're kind of going through the same thing. Yeah, yeah. New players, new line, like trying to figure out where everyone fits in the lineup, how this lineup's going to work. And now we've got a tough stretch down the road, right? Yeah, it's it's we were just you know we were I mean, we had it easy the last couple of weeks. Well, it was it was a bit. It, I think the, I think to give credit is that we came out of that break and we were playing two games a week. So in between this game and, and the Colorado game, I think that was the first time we actually had a one week break or over a one week break uh, all through June to mid July. We've been going on two games a week, um, and now we've had. I think the unfortunate thing is is it, it was a road another home game. That we drop points, um, that's the tough yeah. thing to swallow, and that's been the sort of the, the that's been the I think the overall disappointment of the season is how many home games we've lost. Sure. Um, and then we look at the schedule coming up. I mean, one sort of thing that we might be fortunate with is we're playing uh, City Aguila in the Champions League, uh, and luckily that schedule is a lot lighter because they've changed the format of the tournament. Um, it's only three teams in a group. And the games are spread out a lot more, whereas before it would have been four, and you would have been, well, this would have been that extra two games. Um, I don't think, uh, you know, you just doing brief research on on them from the El Salvador League, you know, doing the, our tour of Central America, it seems every year. We have Honduras one year, Panama the next, and now we're going to El Salvador. Um, 
uh, I think we should be able to handle that game. And maybe that will be, uh, will give us some confidence because then we go to Chicago over the long weekend. I don't feel good about that. Chicago is a team that's, that's sort of hovering around on the brink of being, you know, sort of a top half table team, really being someone to be wary of. But I think they're still sort of figuring their, their lineup out, figuring out who their best players are. And then we go to Columbus the week after. It's never a great place for us to go. I mean, last year there was that epic result where we won 4-2, to two, finally winning in Columbus. But, um, you know, that, that result may be the exception rather than the norm uh, for us against them. Luckily, we bounce back with Portland, who's now, or at least we'll see how the results go, could be still tied with us for the worst team in the league, and then Kansas City. So it is going to be a tough stretch. And that's what's unfortunate is that that was this was a road game. And our even though we had this great string of results, I still feel like um, you know people weren't convinced necessarily of those results. And I think the confidence of the team still wasn't very strong. I think it was, you know, I feel, feel like this team could be two losses away from really spiraling out of control again. Um, that's what I worry about. You know, if we lose a couple games in a row, is this just like, well, that's it. Like, they won't be able to recover from that. I hope not. But because, it, because Portland could bring, like, Portland could be the chance that they at least could get a win out of, right? Yes. So. But I would hope but, that. But the I, momentum might be swinging the wrong way by the time we get to Portland. That's what, and that's what I'm worried of. I mean, I hope we can go into Columbus and get a draw or go, in, go into Chicago, get a draw, maybe get a win in, in Columbus and prove that whole thing wrong, what I just said. That would be amazing. Yeah. That's what I'm worried about. And I feel like this team is sort of teetering on the edge of going one way or the other. Um, because we've, you know, if one thing is the team has been consistently inconsistent and, and if there was been one consistency, it's not been in, in a good way. Um, it's always been in a, in a bad way. So, um, you know, it's, we're still kind of watching this team to determine where they sit. But, I, you know, it's the kind of thing where it's like I'd rather be proactive and, and make good acquisitions to ensure that it doesn't go like that. But we've sort of missed the window. That window's closed in terms of internationals coming in. Now we're just left with stuff in the league and, and waiting for the next season. Speaking of acquisitions, what do we lose with Hasley? What do we lose with Hasley? What do we give up? We get okay. Well, we gave up a 2014 first round draft pick, and we gave up an international spot for 2013. Um, it's interesting, and that's the kind of thing. You know what? We saw these kind of deals in the Mo Johnson era, and they always bit us in the ass. And we're still cleaning up his shit to this day. Actually, I guess you could maybe argue with the Guzman being traded. That might have been the last. But that was still in this season. Yeah. So we are to this day. I think your comment is still valid. Yeah, that we still have to clean up these these bizarre uh, short-term solutions, like, you know, reactive signings that were made under Mo Johnson. It took so long to clean up where we sacrificed things in the future for something in the now. And, you know, I maybe it won't have, you know, the MLS draft is such a crapshoot that who knows, maybe it won't mean anything. But, but you, you had an interesting theory that you were thinking that by then we might uh, be higher up in the league next year, yeah. that uh, we might not have such a great draft pick to be losing, so it might not be such a bad deal. Yeah, and you know, who knows? Maybe we'll end up trading someone for a draft pick next year or this year, and, uh. and, we'll, and we'll sort of regain someone else's spot. So you never know, but it's, it's a, I think it's, it's a dangerous trend to get into, yeah. giving, up, um, giving up your future for the now. 
Um, you have to be really shrewd when you do it and you have to be really sure that you've sort of covered all your bases in Toronto, in, in football, in hockey and in basketball, yeah, have, have a horrible reputation uh, of doing that and, and a bad identifying talent and also be giving up those draft picks and, and other teams uh, scooping up great players uh, at the expense of those trades. So that's my, that's definitely my worry. That if Toronto has a shitty year next year, uh, Vancouver is going to be sitting on a top ten pick. And usually, and if you if you do your homework and and are and are, and are careful and, and do your due diligence in NCAA football and MLS draft, uh, a top ten pick usually is a guy who can who be end like up being, Sam Cronin, yeah, who end up being an MLS MLS caliber player. Yeah. Um. So I think you know what we should just kind of wrap it up on the game and say I want to do a sights and sound oh you do can we do a sights and sounds yeah why not uh, so when Miroquois was being introduced oh yeah the ghost who appears on the board the ghost the Nick's, ghost, the of, ghost of Nick Solzma yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think everyone got a howl out of that it, there was a good laughter yeah it, they are both number 18 you know yeah they just haven't replaced the picture or the name it's, it's weird absurd. anyway and my new hey and I was saying as we were leading my new my new sights and sound of the game that I do when I'm when I'm in the stands, is how how many current TFC player jerseys oh. can I see in the stands? Yeah, that's a good one. I didn't see any. <laughs> I saw. Um, <coughs> who did I see? I saw Anatacora. Yeah. I saw and Asaval would have been one, but he, we got rid of him this week. I saw Mauro Guevara. Uh, who else did I see? There was someone else, and of course, sitting in front of me, my favorite former TFC player, number thirteen, uh, Tony Soprano. <laughs> 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 was was in front of me, um, but you know what? That's there. There goes. That's that's my new game. Who can I find that's still whose on jersey team. still? Did you find any on the team? I you know what? Okay, I did see a Richard Eckers like jersey. Oh wow! When we were walking out of the stadium. Interesting. Because um, he won the player of the match. And yeah, he true. had a good game. But you know what? I think on the closing note, should, I want to just throw one question. Did you think like a two the two 0 scoreline? I think that isn't really indicative of how the game was played. You know, I think one one nil would have been more, pretty much more appropriate because, like you said, the first half was pretty evenly matched. But I think the second half was definitely in Houston's favor. One nil for sure. I think two nil makes it kind of look like Toronto just wasn't even there. But in the second half, but interestingly, both goals came at the end of the half. Uh, the second goal was scored at the 86 minute mark, and the first one was scored at you know at the 45th minute. So true, interesting, uh, yeah. Kind of that's at the end of the game. That also suggests to me fitness, which we um, talked about. I think, I think the midfield just was not there. Our midfield was gone; they were absent, and I think, yeah, it's going to come. Right? Yeah, the game and and it showed that the goals came right at the end of the half, it's which true. is a suggestion that this team isn't fit. No. You know, and that's the other thing. I think our best results over that 10-game stretch, I, I was crediting the midfield, uh, especially when we had that midfield of De Guzman, Frings, Dunfield, and Avila. It was or a strong even, midfield, yeah. They were they were producing, and their legs were fresh, and they looked good, uh, and they didn't tonight. And as a result, we go down to a, to a Houston Dynamo team who's who, you know, they've kind of proved they're the real hot team right now. They're on four in a row. They just won 2-0 on the road against another surging team. Good yeah. for them. Yeah, so for sure. we just need to regroup, get this game taken care of midweek, and we're off to the Windy City. Yeah. We'll we'll a tough see. game. Yeah. So right. wrapping that up. Yeah, we'll see you uh, 
Is it Steve on the whatever? It's, He's uh, on can Steve you tell, on the right. Can you tell right or left on this? Not really. Can. So um, we're not doing like uh, any kind of like tricky. Uh, this is not. This is not a political thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Steve's on the right. Steve's uh, representing the uh, Reform Party, and I'm re- I'm representing the Green Party. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Inside Stand Up is the only Toronto C specific podcast breaking down the game right after it happens. We want you to be involved. Reach out to us on Twitter through hashtag ESSU or at Red Nation Online. You can email us at Have Your Say at Red Nation Online or info at Red Nation Online. Get into the discussion on Toronto FC through Eastside Stand Up and Red Nation Online. Stand you, for you are.